Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to History in Technicolor with me, Wolf O'Neill, and me, David Crowther. Uh, and David, we're here today to talk about Zulu, the, the yeah, famous yeah. 1964 film. Famous, iconic. Um, I do have uh, something that I'm going to try to do today, Wolf, by the way, just before we start. I'm conscious that I always shout. It's a bit like giving a, I don't know, a mobile phone to your aged grandfather uh, and they don't know what it is, and they shout into it. I've realized that I've been doing that in all these podcast programs. So I'm going to try to just talk normally, okay? Uh, well, so as, long as, you, start shouting. as long as you don't dampen your enthusiasm, I think that's fine. No, I'll just I'll just do the enthusiasm in sotte voce. Um, is this because you were particularly loud during the Monty Python episode? Well, I just listen to it, and I, I'm yelling all the time, you know, as though I'm not sort of talking normally to a normal person. I suppose I'm not talking to a normal person. I'm talking to you, but do you know what I mean? I Thank you. I wasn't being natural. Don't mention it. Well, I've never noticed it. Good. Very good. Zulu, the 1964 film, is produced and written and directed by Cy Enfield, and it depicts the Battle of Rock's Drift, which took place between the British Army and the Zulus in 1879. In the battle, fewer than 150 men, roughly a quarter of which were wounded, uh, managed to defend a tiny outpost from roughly 4,500 Zulu warriors. And the film picks up immediately after the infamous British defeat at Islandwana and focuses in detail upon this last stand of the 24th Regiment. So, David, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, why did I pick this film? Hey, Wolf, 
Uh-huh. Something I was thinking the other day. Why did you pick this film? Good question, and I'm, I'm glad you asked. To me, a number of films have loomed over us since we began this podcast, mm. and perhaps none more than Zulu. It didn't be. It's loomed for a long time. I, we've, we've talked about loom. this maybe since day one. Uh, it yeah. has. I kept sitting in, in the shed and then over looking over my right hand shoulder, and there would be Zulu sitting there like mm. a large toad. Haunting. Um, it, as you've already said, it has a gigantic reputation. Um, it seems to be beloved. It's quintessential Christmas Day, Boxing Day viewing annually. Um, Is that really what you watch on your Boxing Day? I mean, I've never watched it. I'm just aware that it's, I think it's associated with just television programming over the Christmas period. It could be New Year. Is that right? We we watched Paddington. Well, I was going to say, I think that Sound of Music is like the mandatory viewing that's on every year programmed in. But I think that Zulu has a big reputation for always being on around that time. Although I think of it more as like a Sunday afternoon movie. Yes, Sunday afternoon. Ideal for Sunday afternoon. Uh, after a big yeah, roast? Yeah. Yes, after a big roast or if the, the one-day cricket match isn't very interesting. Um, I remember it vividly from when I was a child. Uh, you know, that captivating boys' adventure type stuff. Um, but over the years, I found myself less drawn back to rewatching it. And it's probably been a decade or so since I did. Um, incidentally, it was one of the most successful films in Britain at the time when it came out. And I read that it stayed in regular cinema circulation for 12 years after its release. So to sum it all up, I thought we should finally tackle this uh, behemoth and see if it uh, holds up. I thought we were doing Zulu rather than behemoth. Uh, 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 Boom, and if you will, Tish. (laughs) Thank you, David. Um, Well, to start us off, what did you think of the film? And how long has it been since um, you last viewed it? Like you, it's been decades since I have seen the film. Um, and I can't remember being particularly carried away by it um, all the way back then, to be honest. So I'm not sure. I am aware of it, like you, as being a, a behemoth. But um, for me, it's never really been, oh, that film that I'll go back to. Um, you know, I've got Lazy Afternoon. I'll go. It's more like to go back to Normal Wisdom or something like that. Um, so it is quite a while since I've seen it. I have to say that I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, and I was very worried, of course, because I was going back to it and thinking, oh, it's all about colonialism and the empire and how bad we were <laughs> and all that sort of thing. But actually, I found that didn't get in the way at all, which may say something about me. And I thought it in many ways, it's a very good movie. In other ways, less good, but in many ways, very good. Okay, good. Well, and we can break down those good and bad ways. That, Wolf, is exactly what we're here for. And I'm sure the listeners are begging to hear what those things are. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> so optimistic. Yeah. yeah. A, a, f- a few of the good things. I think the cast is pretty good. Um, there are decent and varied characters, and they are kind of drawn out over the course of the film. And that is one of the main strengths of it, that you have these unique individuals, uh, you know, trapped in this moment. I'm not sure that it's enough um, of an asset to really make me remember the film compared to, say, um, The Magnificent Seven or The Great Escape. These were films where I remember every single minor character and I feel invested when they start to get, you know, popped off. Interestingly, I watched The Great Escape not that long ago for some reason. I heard it was as dull as ditch Mm -hmm. water. 
No, sorry about that. that. That feels like sacrilege. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Sorry, I've just I'm just whipping myself now. <laughs> but yeah, what evs? I thought. Anyway, carry on. Sorry about that. Well, let's move on. Should we talk about Winnie the Pooh as well again? <laughs> no, no. Let's let's leave let's leave Winnie out of this. <laughs> I thought the the production was great. It definitely has that feel of an epic. Um, I quite like some of the shots. I thought the use of the camera work, especially during the battle sequences, really conveyed scale and power of the moment. And then it's particularly good when you know that they didn't actually have that many extras on the film. So they only had 500 um, Zulu extras, and they were able to convey this scale of thousands through you know, the work that they were doing. So... That pleased me. I enjoyed that. I thought the set pieces were really good. The fight sequences in general were strong. The hand-to-hand combat and choreography is maybe a bit dated now, but as it really gets going, it, it's it's a pretty enthralling uh, film. I thought the Drakenberg Mountains were a great location, and I love the richness of the color of this film. I think it was filmed on a super Technicolor or something, right. and just to me, even now... I mean, I guess the version I'm watching is was restored, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. It's just quite a bold, beautiful image. The red uniforms against that backdrop, it looks lush. Yeah. And the score is incredible. The score is fantastic. Yes. Shall I say what I liked about it now? Just to have this. Yes, please We're do. on the positive bit before we start yeah. talking about how awful we all are. I love the space and environment, the thing that you're talking about. You know, it's absolutely fantastic. The stars... Uh, and the mountains and the great bowl and the uh, all the, the and all the Zulus in the middle of it. I, it was just incredibly atmospheric. Uh, I loved the slow build up and tension. You know that it really takes its time, uh, and I love that. Um, you know the war coming, the sense of impending doom coming closer and closer. The sense of emptiness you get, the isolation is incredible. It's really atmospheric. And, uh, you know, how could he not love Michael Caine? Stanley Baxter reminded me a little bit, I have to say, of Captain Darling. I don't quite know, okay. I don't quite know why. I don't know, it was his voice or something. I kept on expecting him to say, oh, I don't know, darling, or, you know, whatever. But, uh, uh, but yes, all those things you're talking about, the colours, the atmosphere, the music, you know, really, really good. Lots of things I don't like, but we'll talk about those later, shall we? Uh, it's interesting that you picked up like the building tension and how you like the slow start, because that was one of the things that I was less interested in this time around. Mm-hmm. I could see that it was working, and maybe I'm just the only person who felt this way. But for me, I've seen a lot better sieges um, and the structure of films done in a better way. As examples, I personally prefer... Assault on Precinct 13 or Night of the Living Dead, or I prefer Helm's Deep in The Two Towers. I even really enjoyed the siege in Kingdom of Heaven. And I think I just like it when it gets there a bit sooner, and then you can see them more trapped within the siege rather than it being an hour of build-up and then constant conflict. I, I quite like the stress and tension of when they can't get out of the situation, and you've got to try and work out how they'll, how they'll finish it. Okay, so I'm going to just me. I'm going to 180 degrees disagree with you on that. Um, okay, good. For me, the thing that didn't work in the movie was the battle scene. Mm. Oh, it was turgid, repetitive. You're absolutely right that the 
the killing is just completely out of date. You know, a little sort of stab and the guy falls immediately to the ground and that's it. It's all over, you know. Um, it just didn't convince me very much. Um, and, you know, I kept started looking at my watch and thinking, look, could somebody please kill the other one, please? And then, you know, we can all go home and see the burial scene and, you know, because I just, you know, maybe it's because I knew the answer. I don't know. But I that bored me fair enough and i i I generally do agree it is a it is an hour of fighting and the scenery can't really change that much i quite enjoyed the bit when you're inside the hospital and get set on fire because that felt like a change of environment Mm. um which was good i think these other movies that i'm referencing because the siege takes longer you get more ups and downs and you can really change the pace of the movie and and they have to attempt different plans to kind of escape the siege that they're under. So I don't know. Yeah, we're we're getting off topic. Well, I don't know. We're talking about what's bad about it is. It it didn't quite work for me. Just everything combined, like the hour of slow, slow build up, and then one hour of fairly repetitive fighting, yeah. um, where I couldn't always tell who the different characters were. So there was a little bit of fodder on both sides, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so David, you've already mentioned some of the things that you like, but was there anything you didn't? Well. You've already said, but anything you didn't like about the film? There were other things. Um, so I think it's aged. The film was also aged in the acceptability of cliches. You know, there were quite a lot of cliches in the movie. It has to be said. Um, so the Welsh are obsessed with singing, for example. Um, and Chard has to be an English ass, doesn't he? You know, the guy in charge. Um, the common soldiers were a bit cool, blimey, gov. Ain't I got a lovely bunch of coconuts? There's a bit of that, which, you know. I mean, sometimes, actually, I love those cliches, and they felt like a pair of warm slippers. Um, so the gruff colour sergeant, you know, is the, was the archetypical colour sergeant. He did exactly what you expected him to do. And I kind of rather like that, actually. But there were quite a lot of cliches. Okay, anything else that you uh, didn't enjoy? Uh, there was one misstep, and of course we're going to talk about endlessly about colonialism, no doubt. Um, yeah. And there was uh, basically, actually, I'm going to disagree properly with everything you're going to say. Although I don't know what you're going to say, but um, as far as the Zulu was, Zulus were perceived. There was one misstep at the beginning, I think, where the wits are trying to get into the carriage and get away to warn uh, the folks at Rock's Drift, and a, um, a Zulu warrior stabs. Yes, stabbed. Uh, very, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a misstep. That kind of annoyed me. Well, why is he being stabbed? Hasn't he? Why isn't he just told to be stopped? You know, and it, that that felt a bit sort of the savages bit. I completely agree, and I will be bringing that scene up again in a minute. Uh-huh. So I have a, a fair amount of negatives about the film. Uh, some about historical accuracy, and some about the content of the film. Uh, but we'll come to those as we move on. Just wanted to throw a few facts in there about the film production, which I thought was interesting. Uh, This was filmed in South Africa, and it was during apartheid. And I think this had a big impact upon the cast and the crew during this. It's an interesting background to the film when you consider some of the topics we'll go through later. And there were various incidents during the filming where crew members and stuntmen were barred from local establishments, or one where a local foreman assaulted a worker on the set and was fired. And I think this is something that's just worth considering that the colonialism and imperialism and and some of the aspects of racism in the movie are not totally separated from the real world in which it was being filmed. 
cite Enfield, the director, was declared a communist by HUAC and had been blacklisted in Hollywood. And he moved to the UK because he couldn't get any more work. And he remained here. And that was where he, you know, this is when he went on to make this film and others, which I thought was interesting. And as probably everyone knows, this was Michael Caine's first big role. And it almost never was because he absolutely tanked the audition. Was that right? Did he? Yeah. Apparently, well, first of all, he tried to audition for the role of Hooky, but he couldn't get it. And then they got him to audition for his role. And he was so nervous, he just kind of blew the audition. And they said, sorry, we have to like fly in a couple of days and we've got no one better. Um, We're going to cast you. And uh, everything worked out. It's all, well, how how extraordinary, how very interesting. Did he at any point in the audition say, all I told you to do was blow the bloody doors off? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say no, but let's hope, let's hope that he did. Um, (laughs) He did always, I think he has always claimed to this day that if the film had been made by a British director and not an American, they never would have cast him as an officer because he was Cockney. Yeah. On to the the bigger topic. So let's dive right in. David, how did you feel about the portrayal of the Zulu? I thought the portrayal of the Zulu was almost all the way through uh, very good. I think you're going to disagree with me, so I should have let you go first, really. But um, I thought you don't see much of them. The film is about uh, the the guys in Rourke's Drifts. So you don't get a very rounded uh, picture of them. It's it, The job of the film is not to give you a deep insight into Zulu society. But throughout the thing, ex- with the exception of that one scene I mentioned, it seems to me there's very little uh, racism and so on. So there are a few events during the film, a few occasions during the film, for example, where you know somebody, I think, calls them savages and he gets roasted by the... Uh, South African uh, guide, you know, quite a few times it, it does attack that, I think, and, you know, try not to be racist, if that's the right phrase. I don't know. So, And, of course, in terms of the battle, you see the bravery of the Zulu, Zulu warriors, you see the organisation of the Zulu warriors. You know, this is not... You don't get a feeling of, you know... The, the noble savage or the hopeless savage it's clear they're under a lot of pressure they're using they've picked up the guns from as wander and used it which apparently is, is accurate so i felt that it was very even-handed good good fair shoot, enough um, shoot me down I, well i'm not necessarily going to disagree with that um you not i think i just Come on, Wolf. well i okay i definitely will but <laughs> i think that it that's a valid viewing of the film and I definitely, I went into this film thinking it was going to be worse than it was. And it was a little bit more balanced than my memory had led me to believe. But I do still have some issues with with what it's doing. Um, so first of all, it, kind of before I get too negative, the general point of the film is that war is hell. Uh, and that's very clear throughout. It's clearly not an anti-Zulu film uh, and always speaks of their bravery and skill and, you know, how the British completely underestimated them and how there was this incredible um, people and an excellent army. So I do believe that there's some good intentions behind the film, but I still find myself thinking about the problems too much 
during it. And that's mainly because the film's called Zulu and they virtually don't feature in the film except as fodder to be mown down repeatedly by the British. If we start from the beginning with the, the Zulu dance scene, which is really the only time you get a chance to learn more about them and kind of see their side of the story, this quick five minutes. Um, I think its aim is to show, you know, a more human side to them. They're not in a, a you know, a, a conflict at the time. So you get to see them in more than, you know, uh, home. And it was choreographed and performed with a high level of authenticity um, by the Zulu people. Um, and it is a, it's a powerful scene and I totally forgotten it was in there and I was su- surprised that it existed. But my excitement uh, dwindled pretty quickly when I realized that they would not be allowed to speak during this scene and only Jack Hawkins would speak. And he would tell us like what they think and what they feel and what their society's like rather than ever getting a single voice of the Zulu. Um, so yeah, Jack Hawkins as the missionary, you know, annoyed me a little bit waffling on about marriage traditions and how these people aren't actually too strange and they're good people. You could argue on one side that a lot of what he's saying is, um, to the audience and there's this kind of positive message that they're trying to get across, but I think it gets undermined through the way that it's shot and kind of what they choose to exclude from the film. On the, on that point, I'd yep. I'd say that what I thought was very good about the film, actually, um, although taking a point about the fact that it's called Zulu rather than Rourke's Drift, um, was that you never, there's no translation of what the Zulu are saying. So you get that feeling of foreigners in a foreign land you know the brits are foreigners in a foreign land and they do not understand the language and therefore local you know people who have made their uh, living there have to explain what's going on and that adds to me to the sense of isolation and alienness of those guys at rock drift rocks drift they shouldn't be there and for me that is a message which is reinforced constantly that what are we doing here is a constant refrain uh, amongst the soldiers. So uh, the Welsh soldier picks up the soil and says, yeah, there's no moisture in this soil. It's not like the soil back at Bala. Uh, And maybe it's a slightly corny movie, but what he's saying is, what am I doing here with this foreign soil that means nothing to me? And that is a constant theme and for me, that's why you don't get the Zulu speaking, because it's about this alien bunch of blokes stuck in a farmhouse. For what reason? Interesting. Okay, see, I took it as the aliens were the Zulu, the this group of people who have no way of communicating to us. And I see it, there's more of a comparison, especially when you get to the singing scene. It's oh, how, you know, how wonderful is the, you know, the Welsh singing, how, you know, sophisticated is our our language and our presentation. And let's, come on, we can do this. There's 4,500 Zulu singing, but this these 100 Welshmen will sing louder than them and more proudly and stronger than all of them. You see, I took that completely the other way. But not completely the other way. Um, what I saw it is, is to... Um... 
two different traditions meeting and the, the Zulu singing and the coordination and the sophistication of it and the, the challenge is astounding. You know, they don't mess it up. They're not overpowered by the Welsh singing uh, men of Harlech. That never happens. They never wipe out the singing. I mean, that, that is one of the best bits in the movie is the Zulu battle challenge. It's amazing stuff when they're bang on the shields, all in unison at the time. It's just incredibly atmospheric and impressive. Okay, so I, I do agree. It's a good scene, and I'm being slightly too picky. I think I'm just when we have to I have to fall safely on one side, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall on the side where I'm more cautious of what this film is doing, and there are things that I'm slightly unsure about. It's an interesting viewpoint, and I had not considered that that was how it might be interpreting it. And I think it could do that. What I find strange is that they bought all these Zulus in and they spent all this time with the Zulu people. And then they, they didn't really have any interest to show their side of the conflict or give them an opportunity to speak. And so to me, they're completely othered and alien. And then when you mow them down repeatedly for an hour, just killing hundreds of them, it kind of wears and... It doesn't sit so well with me. I don't find it as enjoyable. Um, I'd quite like to see a little bit of the other side of things. And before we move on completely, during that first scene with the Zulu dancing, and again, it could be raised as like an argument that can be torn down. The the woman who's there, the missionary, it, it's like a scene from a horror movie. She's watching, you're getting close-ups of her eyes. You can almost hear the sound of like burning fire, the soundtrack booming, and she's like... It's splendid, I know, but it's quite horrible too. She's so disgusted and frightened and affronted by these people performing this dance. And Jack Hawkins has to try and calm her down and be like, maybe maybe you shouldn't think that they're so weird and that they're so different because some British traditions are strange too. And just to me, if you really value these people and are so impressed by them, why do you even need to have the scene of this woman who's so frightened and then is immediately attacked? needlessly attacked by this savage Zulu who's going to try and drag her off. Um, that scene in of itself, the attack, is completely unnecessary. And then the follow-up response when the king immediately has that man stabbed and killed is again another sign that they're savage rather than like professional and disciplined. Okay, let me, let me respond to that. Okay, um, go ahead. On the stabbing thing, I do agree that the one misstep, as I've said, is where the king orders the man to be stabbed. It's quite perfectly comprehensible that the the Zulu warrior tries to stop them leaving because he might be saying, look, they're going to go and tell the guys at Rourke Drift we're on the way. Um, but what was not appropriate was the, the stabbing. I do agree about that. Yeah, but it's it's something about nobody stops Jack Hawkins. What I mean is, to me, it's like a classic image the woman being rushed, picked up, thrown over the okay. shoulder to be carried off. Jack Hawkins left, you know, unmolested. I'm like, wouldn't you try and stop both of them? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a misstep. Mr. Wit, um, or Miss Wit, isn't it? Um, she is there, I think, throughout the whole film to reflect the uh, the unreasonableness of the Western attitudes and specifically of missionaries. They play a really interesting role, the Wits, because they also provide a mirror for the hypocrisy of what's going on. So <clears throat> there's an occasion in the film where uh, 
the missionary and a wit and one of the soldiers remember a psalm about peace and there they are creating war and that has got to be very pointed the 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 woman wit the female mrs wit or whatever her name is she is there to be horrified and to reflect in her horror the way we other these people for me she is part of the anti-war anti-colonialism message which i think runs all the way through this movie yep and i and i can see that i can see it being raised up but to me the movie is not critical enough to counterbalance that to me jack hawkins waffling on just slightly about how they're oh no they're actually a good people that's not enough of like uh it doesn't really reprimand her at all for having these views well it's not a it's not a um a social information film you know you have to pick up you have to do your own work um this isn't an anti-colonial movie it is one of the three themes with it what is it what it is is an action movie uh, it's not that it beat you over the head with um, anti-colonialism. It would make it a dull move if it was. Ag- agreed completely. I just, to me, I wouldn't put that scene in of this woman being really affronted by the Zulu during the only scene in the movie where we have the Zulu performing. Like, they're doing a wonderful dance and it's so nice to enjoy their performance. What's your reaction to the scene? I mean, my reaction was... This ceremony is amazing, and this woman mm-hmm. is behaving badly. Yeah, oh, agreed. That's that... QED. So the film has achieved its objective. Yes, but my point is it raises this thought that what you're seeing is horrifying, which I had never occurred to me until the woman started saying it. And what I just want but to it know does is that... why do you need to add it? Because for that specific reason you juxtapose the beauty of the ceremony with the hideousness of the western attitude towards it it's perfect okay i mean obviously you know i don't i'm not filmmaker maybe they weren't intending that but that's how it came across to me i think it that does come across and we can we can move on but i just to me the response from jack hawkins who was meant to be the kind of slightly different viewpoint the more balanced viewpoint, the one who understands the Zulu, his response is, isn't exactly to me. It doesn't go the, as far the other way to completely balance it. I'm seeing right. more negative comments being made. And then the follow-up where her, her fear is, is she's rewarded for not rewarded. Her fear comes true. She's afraid mm-hmm. of them. And then they assault her and she's afraid for her safety and her life. And I feel like when she leaves the camp, what we're left with is, yes, okay, these people are frightening. They're going to war. We're all going to die. Um, look how savage they are. Like that, To me, I take more of a negative message mm. from that. It starts off good, and I just feel like even Jack Hawkins, who's like, no, no, they're good people, and then he gets so panicked. He's like, run for your lives, run for your lives, everyone, and he starts screaming, and I'm like, right, okay, so this probably isn't as balanced as it would like to be. I, mean, I appreciate I take, I take your point. Um, I think... For me, it's her reaction and there is mirrored by what happens to her in the hut where the British soldiers yep. uh, rip her dress. And, you know, for me, the film is, is showing that this is war and these are, uh, you know, these are uh, warriors, fighters. This is a scary situation where the innocent and defenseless 
are in danger from both sides because it's war. Okay, it's already briefly come up, but David, how do you think the film approaches the topic of colonialism and imperialism? How does it deal with it? So I think it is uh, disapproving. I think the approach, the approach it takes, as I think I've already said, is one of the confusion of the ordinary man. And I think in a way it kind of ducks imperialism to a degree, if I'm critical, that there is a feeling of, look, ordinary people far away in a foreign la land, really not sure why and what they're fighting for. And there is a bit of a tendency you see in quite a few places in a few national histories, I could mention one, but I'm not going to, of a rather dishonest popular history. Look, about victimology, it's not my history, mate. They made me do it. It was the rich guys or it was this other nation that forced me into it. Um, so I think there's a bit of that in it. But I think his attitude basically was, in several cases, Hook cries, what am I doing here? Um, you know, ordinary soldiers, people press-ganged into war by poverty or the ruling classes. The surgeon says, damn you, child, and your butchers, which I think is bizarre. I mean, you chose to be an army doctor rather than a village doctor. Yep. What are you complaining about? Awful for crying out loud. At the end, Chard says, I feel ashamed. Um, and you feel it's partly that's about all these people that he's, he's just killed in the war, but also the pointlessness of the, the fighting. Baxter, this is a butcher's yard. I came to build a bridge. Um, mm -hmm. The attitude is one of anti-war and anti-imperialism and colonialism. What, what are we doing here? There's no point to this. But nonetheless... And then there's another conversation which says, why us? And he says, well, why us? Because we're a lad, just us. You know, it's a bit of an epic line, actually. Um, they're there. They're soldiers. Their duty is to fight, and so they fight. But they don't really know why they're doing it, and they're not quite sure they're doing it in a good cause. So I completely agree. I do have some other points that I'm going to add, but that all comes across evidently in the film. And I have no issue with that being a message in the film. I just feel like with this very specific war and then the 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 surrounding events around this battle, there is no wider picture of this conflict. And thus, like you say, it seemingly takes all the blame off of these individuals. So they seemingly have no authority over their own actions. It takes away Chelmsford and all the others who were making these terrible decisions. Um, so that you can't really be against the British. You're still always on their side, even if you know they maybe shouldn't be here. Uh, and to me, it kind of, it has an opportunity to be really critical and chooses to pull all of those punches and then can just give you a story that everyone can get behind, which is like, oh, we shouldn't be here and we shouldn't really be fighting, but it's not our fault and we did our best and we respected our enemy and they respected us. So let's just recognize this for... A, the good and the bad rather than being like genuinely critical i i see all the points which and the, i can hear it throughout the film and it, it's recognizable that, that the film doesn't agree with colonialism and isn't supportive of it but it just frustrates me that its message isn't louder you need to be what you need essentially wolf you need to be watching a different film not Z. agreed now in I fairness mean, 
What's the you know this is a war movie, an action movie. What's the point if you think they're all worms? Well, die, die, no, no. You colonialists. No, that's not what I'm saying. Burn. You know, I mean, they have the message is sort of Oche because otherwise you don't have a film or a bunch of people to identify with. At least it doesn't glorify imperialism. It doesn't glorify war. Agreed, and. This is why, you know, overall, I come out kind of right in the middle because it does a bunch of good things. And for the time as well, it does things better than I thought it would. But I just think if we as we continue to kind of venerate this film, there has to be considerations as time passes. And that consideration can be that we don't blame the film necessarily for things. That's maybe not I'm not furious at the film. It doesn't make me angry to watch. But the more I learn about the history and some of the the historical records that have come out since the more I just want people to know around about the, like the wider picture of what's going on. So you can consider Zulu, you know, as a film, as a piece of entertainment and as a moment of British history, you know, with, with greater understanding. We, we judge it differently certainly now than we did. I mean, the thing that got me about the film essentially was I expected to go to it and think, Oh, this is terrible. You know, now that our attitudes towards, uh, the empire and colonialism has changed. I'm really going to hate this. I'm going to feel very uncomfortable. I didn't. And I thought that was really interesting. I take your point that, you know, we we need to, we need to talk about all these things around colonialism. That needs to be part of our national history and understood. But as a film, I didn't feel uncomfortable. That this was glorifying things that now we, we realize are very questionable. Um, I just thought it was a damn good movie a bit out of date in the battle scenes. Yeah, I, I, I would generally agree. I'm going to deliver the bit of history during this bit as well, um, just to kind of back up my point. But for me, it's the, and I guess, like you say, it's criticizing the film for something that, you know, it's not trying to do. But while I'm watching this, I'm also thinking about the wider context of the war. Mm. Um, the film is about these injured British troops in this tiny outpost, and they don't want to be there. And this overwhelming army of Zulus has come to destroy them. It doesn't doesn't factor in that the British waged war on the Zulu first, and that they the Battle of Islandwana, where the, you know they were defeated, was the Zulu um, outmaneuvering the British and Chelmsford's kind of terrible attack. And then, obviously, you know the Zulu continue on in the conflict. But to me, it just not even settling in and really recognizing that. The British were there to force the Zulu out of their, off their land and kill them, and then have the British be the ones who are besieged by this overwhelming enemy. There's a slight power imbalance there. The fact that they don't really show Islandwana at all, A, because it was a terrible British defeat, so no one ever wants to remember or talk about it, and B, because it showed that we, you know, we weren't, um, we kind of instigated a lot of this. So there's that. I'm torn on the. The like salute, the Zulu salute at the end. I think it's kind of the perfect ending for this film, and I can see the the thought process behind it. Um, but it's it's definitely frustrating to think that we started this war, and then the reward for it was that all the people who lived there that we went there to kill turned around and said, "Job well done, you're amazing." Well, okay, like, of course, the Zulus were no spring chickens when it came to invading other other peoples. No, agreed. Um, and ultimately, it ends up being like a you know a tit for tat. Who did this? Who did that? Um, so I don't want to worry too much about you know 
who's good in war. But, you know, ultimately, like, we didn't really need to be there. And it, I don't know, it's just discussions about, like, the Boers are discussed in the movie, and they talk about how the Zulu are their natural enemy, which is already a bit... I'm like, you moved there in, like, the 17th century, and then you started war with these people. And it the Boers are there helping the British, but the British were at war with the Boer as well, and they forced them out of their land, which forced them more into the Zulu land. So... There's just this wider picture of what happens like directly before the movie. And then I'll bring it up now because I might as well. Uh, did you read about this book? I uh, know. That came out? Probably not. So there was this book called Zulu Victory that was written by two retired British officers where they had found all of these letters and journal entries from soldiers in the battle. And I guess this must have happened in... A, so it's published in 2002, so it's fairly recent history. So this is not a criticism of the film, but all of these entries revealed that after the battle, the British went around the battlefield and murdered 500 plus wounded Zulu that were lying on the battlefield. They strung them up and hung them. They buried them alive in pits and they stabbed them to death. And, you know, this is, you know, this is war. And, Mm. you know, the Zulu, um, you know, eviscerated everybody at Islandwana. So I'm not, trying to be like, oh, well, you know, one's good, one's evil. But it's hard for me to watch this film now, knowing that, you know, at the end of the battle, it, you know, the film ends with this big salute and everyone's like, ah, oh, they're, res- they're respecting fellow braves. This is wonderful. And you walk out of the cinema smiling and then you know that the relief force arrived. They walked out onto the field and they killed more Zulu that were wounded than had died during the battle by mm. committing this atrocity. Um, yes, it's, and it, it's clearly an atrocity. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is this one book's opinion, you know, and I've read about it from this article in the Guardian. I haven't read the book myself. Mm. I think it's just there's a lot of troubling history that's happening at this time with this conflict. Mm. So I'm reluctant to be too positive or too inspired by this excellent, you know, last stand of which it was a military success. Mm. I just am I'm torn on how to feel about the, you know, more Victoria Crosses were given out at this battle than any other in British history. That's obviously a fact. I just feel uncomfortable knowing that then all of the wounded are, are butchered on the battlefield. Mm. It, it's just like, oh, yeah, that leaves a real bad taste yes. in your mouth. Well, I, I couldn't agree more, yeah. Anyway, okay, on to, you know, other things, um, so we can keep it like that. <laughs> Apart from the slaughter of 500, uh, yes, wounded warriors. David, if you were in a battle... And you had to sing a song to inspire your troops and to, you know, rally against your opponent. What would, if you just had to, someone turned to you and they were like, David, you've got the pipes, give it to them. And you've got to inspire everyone around you. What would you sing? Okay. Well, I think this might be a similar conversation. I might have struggled with this question. It has to be said, uh, Wolf. Um, and I think it's kind of a similar question to what should the, England football and rugby teams sing sing before a match uh, to get away from the god awful God save our uh, queen or whatever she is, which is anyway a UK anthem rather than an English one. So I kind of I decided I would look at it in that way. And of course, as you know, uh, the greatest national anthems, which are there supposed to be inspiring and martial, are uh, in reverse order: the Marseillaise, the Soviet. Mm-hmm. Um, anthem, whichever it is, 
And the best, of course, is Land of My Fathers. So I think Land of My Fathers would be the one. Although, Very of course, nice. it, it possibly the other competitor, of course, is Jerusalem, which is the national anthem that is the one that, of course, England should uh, sing before their matches. See, my thought process went completely differently. And I was okay. like, what, what happens if this happened tomorrow? And somebody just grabbed me and they were like, start singing, man. And of course, the first, there's no way I'll be able to, you know, think about what's going to pop into my head. Hang so on, before before you answer this question, it's going to be Iron Maiden, isn't it? Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say it's probably going to be somebody like ABBA. <laughs> what, Dancing Queen? Come on, guys. I was thinking SOS because um, I probably didn't want to be there. <laughs> it's not my that encouraging, is, is it, SOS? No, but you could be a more encouraging one. But I think my, my point is the first song that just pops into my head, and it's got to be a popular one so that everyone else can join along, it's it's going to be something something terrible, I'm sure. Right. Well, I just remember, if I'm in, if I'm fighting for my life against 4,000 uh, warriors, I won't ask you to sing. You, you, you'll just hear me across the battlefield, a solo rendition of the Spice Girls when two become one. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe that would be inspiring in a different way. I'm not quite sure. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it would work. Yeah, okay. A bit more original than Land of My Fathers anyway, you know. So uh, just kind of as we wrap up on the film, I think this film has a cultural legacy attached to it. Mm. Maybe you disagree because you remember it slightly differently. Um, But I just wanted to clarify, do you think that it still deserves the reputation that it has cultivated and the kind of reputation that meant that it played continually in cinemas for 12 years. This may be the greatest kind of British war movie. Uh, No, I don't, to be honest. Um, I mean, interesting enough, I haven't beaten a path to its door irrespective of uh, history and Technicolor, um, you know, for 20 years or whatever. Um, And therefore, although I know it's got this reputation, it doesn't really hasn't really done it for me. I have to say this time round, um, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And the more I've thought about it, as we've discussed today, actually, the better I have regarded it. Um, so I was quite interesting, interested about how I reacted to it because I didn't expect to, to be honest. Um, so I don't think it's that, you know, this greatest war movie ever made i think it's a bit hammy in places and it's a bit cliched in places and it doesn't you know i don't think it's lasted that well just because of the realism you now get in in movies but i think it's a damn good movie and i think it's got the right instincts and the right heart to it um surprising for its time um and i think the cinema the the environment they're in and the way they show it is just and the, the sounds the music and the singing is just fantastic i kind of understand its reputation and i can see how it it earned it at the time i mean it is epic in in every sense of the word i can't even imagine what it would have been like to go see when it came out in the cinema for the first time cues around the block it, yeah it would have been incredible to uh, to be a part of that but you know like we said i am less interested in it as the years go by and it's probably not going to be one that particularly you know, is close to my heart. Yeah. Okay, David, super quick wrap up on some of the history points um, so that we have like an overview. There, there are quite a lot of inaccuracies with this film in general. But that being said, 
I think that the film achieves really good sense of place, a pretty good understanding of the battle and the people involved. And it, it feels kind of as close to a cinematic version of what happened as you're going to get. That's, that's kind of my personal opinion regarding like the tactics and the feel of being in the environment. In reality, um, the real location was two very small hills and was completely unimpressive. So they just they navigated slightly further away to this to the incredible you know backdrop that they use with the mm. the Drakenberg Mountains. So I applaud that because we don't want to see the real location if it's boring. Yeah, uh, a bunch of the characters were different in real life, so I thought this was interesting. The color sergeant was this tiny little man called the Kid, um, who was okay. rake thin. Yeah, apparently he was like he was incredibly skinny, and he was twenty four years old, and everyone called him the Kid. Didn't even so, have nothing chopped. I um I can't I'm gonna guess no, but I can't can't ah. remember what I read. Piercing blue eyes, uh, possibly. Sweet sweet hooky was an exemplary soldier. He yes, had a perfect really military job record. Him, they? Yeah, yeah. He was teetotal, and when one of the things that I'm sure we both read, his daughter walked out of the film premiere so upset by how they portrayed him in the film. Yeah. Um, Otto Witt, you know the missionary that I not particularly fond of not only did he not oppose british military action obviously as you can kind of maybe infer from the movie he leased rock's drift to lord chelmsford specifically to use at his disposal in the war against the zulu so okay you know maybe classic missionary there um yes as we talked about you know you talked about the kind of how over the top though the welshness is not to be you know disparage the welsh um so Stanley Baker was Welsh, which I think is why, and he was really proud of it. And, you know, then he teams up with Richard Burton and he's like, please come and do the narration for this movie. So they're kind of pushing that. But the unit was the Warwickshire unit mm. um, at the time. And two years later, it became the Breckens, maybe, or the South South Wales. So at the time that this battle took place, the, the, it was mostly English and Irish troops in the in the unit and thus they wouldn't have su- sung the song that they did because that wasn't their anthem mm. so you know these are not criticisms but just you yes. know interesting observations it's obvious but just in case anybody didn't realize there was no battlefield singing and there was no honorary salute at the end mm. it seems to be that um this relief force of um british troops arrived and the zulu took a tactical retreat they could see them coming and, you know, it wasn't worth it. So, you know, they moved off and we've talked about the the butchering. But the film can't be blamed for that because it didn't, I don't think anybody knew at the time. Uh, I think it was generally, this. the book claims it was covered up a lot by, uh, by the government. So in conclusion, while the history isn't exactly accurate, it does everything it needs to for the type of film that it's making. Um, and since it's inspired by Westerns, it does feel like a, cowboys and indians film so i don't want to be too critical because it you know it does what it says on the tent yeah yes indeed it it makes sort of the sort of changes that uh were required in the interest of drama i suppose is the thing Um, yeah and it's a movie where the opening title card is giant block letters filled with burning fire it, it's giving you that kind of a movie. And despite everything I've said, it, that is what it's going to do. And that's kind of why we love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You're not going to give it the highest historical accuracy score, but nor are you going to murder it because, you know, it gets the basics right. Hooky, the actor, never once went to the location in South Africa for the shooting. He did every one of his scenes in Twickenham. Because, Good Lord. Yeah, but they filmed because the inside of the hospital and like the internal scenes were all filmed at Twickenham and then all the external right. shots done on location. So, and then it made me realize that you never see him outside of the hospital, I don't think. Like, or maybe he just emerges onto the roof that one time. Mm. Um, and as a result, like, he, he never filmed on location, which just seems, in my mind, the whole thing is just there and built. It's an outrage, isn't it? I mean, f- filmmakers are such liars. Oh, they? they're completely and cheats and scoundrels and cads. Completely and utterly outrageous. I'm going to cancel Zulu. Uh, we better cancel this podcast. We better add. So, David, what, uh, as a film, what would you what would you rate it out of ten? Uh, seven. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking like five slash six. I think it depends on my mood at the time. Right. You know, perfectly entertaining, but just I don't know. It a bit repetitive, drags on a little bit. It drags on a little bit. It's why I'm not giving it more. Yes. And then history wise, again, I was thinking like five. I mean, quite harsh. I gave it a bit more, just I gave it seven, just I'm happy to be talked out of it because uh, it seemed to me it got the big things right. Um, there's the bits around the edges that. Yes, okay, yeah. I'm there for you. Okay, know, sort of. six, seven. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you, if you want to be, you can be quite critical of the history, but I think yeah, you can't, kind of considering when it's made, everything else, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh. Mm-hmm. Were you pleased that you watched okay. it? Yeah, it was actually. Um, it grew, it grew on me over time. If someone had never seen it before, mm. and they weren't going back for a rewatch, would you recommend that they watch this? Um, I mean, yes. Uh, you know, there are worse ways of spending a couple of hours. If somebody said to me, "Look, I want to see a really great war movie full of heroism," and you know. Um, uh, inspiration, I'd say better go and watch Master and Commander then. Yep. Not Zulu, you know, but, but you know, it is a good movie. I would say to somebody it's worth it's worth seeing it for Fair various enough. reasons we've discussed. What about you? I would say if if they showed any hesitation and were like, oh, should I watch it or not? I can't decide. Then I'd be like, no, don't bother. Right. But, you know, if you're excited and interested in, you know, all these British war movies, then sure. I mean, it's very British. Yeah. And you can get a lot of enjoyment out of out of that. I know you said some of them are cliches, but some of that stuff is the most enjoyable part of the movie. Chard is very amusing, actually. I mean, it's got to be said, you know, okay, I mean, it's all, it is laden with cliches. But Michael Caine is bloody good, isn't he? I mean, he really is good. He does the English arse officer, you know, brilliantly. And Baxter does the honest, honest engineer perfectly as well you know and there's the whole you know the chemistry between them about who's the boss and who's going to take control and uh you know it'd be, been decent of you to ask me uh pal or something like that. i mean all that stuff if you like that sort of old british movie stuff is great it's a hoot good and uh with that i think we're done okay i don't know what we're going to do next week actually wolf but We'll t- you're, everybody out there will be the first people to know. 
Okay, brilliant. Uh, thank you for today, David. I've uh, enjoyed this. Yes, it was very good indeed. Very interesting. Um, I'm sure everyone will have comments. So yes. if you do, please go to the Facebook group and tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, or why I'm possibly maybe Yeah, right. why you're right, indeed. Absolutely right. Okay. Uh, thank you very yes. much. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, join us on Facebook. Bye. Bye. Are you not entertained? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.